This is Case Closed, crime stories from the golden age of radio. This is Case Closed. Welcome back. Thanks for joining me this Wednesday. We're going to hear first this week from Jeff Regan, investigator. We'll hear his story from July 30th, 1950, titled A Fire for Romano. After that, it's Broadway is My Beat and the Ben Justin murder case. That story aired December 8th, 1950. Sunday at 8.30 and CBS brings you Jeff Regan, Investigator, starring Frank Graham as Regan with Frank Nelson as Anthony J. Lyon. We'll stand by for mystery and suspense and adventure in tonight's transcribed story, A Fire for Romano. It started with a little man with deep wrinkles in his forehead and troubles on his mind. Then there was a kid traveling fast in a hot rod. And then there were two women. One who didn't deserve to die, but did. And another one who did deserve to die, but didn't. It was a sunny, healthy Chamber of Commerce Tuesday that I wandered into my boss, the Lion's office. Got a surprise. No Anthony J. Lyon. Then I remembered he was on vacation. Yeah. He's made it look like an even sunnier, healthier Tuesday. Let's see, the beach or the track or... That was before the door opened right behind me. And the aforementioned little man with wrinkles walked in. Uh, Mr. Regan? Huh? You are Mr. Regan, the detective? Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I am. Please, Mr. Regan, I need your help. Could you help me? I'm afraid I didn't get your name. Oh, oh, I, I am Romano. Elio Romano. Well, sit down, Mr. Romano. Thank you. Uh, yeah. mm. What do you say, Mr. Regan? Very nice fit. What? What's that? Oh, oh just the chair. Uh, fits pretty good. Uh, the chair uh, fits? Yeah, yeah, my boss is on vacation. I'm just trying out his chair. Oh, yeah, I see. Yeah. Uh, suppose you tell me about your problem. You're uh, needing help, Mr. Romano. Oh, yes, yes, Mr. Regan. It's true. I do need help. My store. It's my store. Uh Uh-huh, store. I have a smaller grocery store. It's on 6th Street. It's my own little store, and I'm very proud. Romano, what about the store? Oh, such a nice little place where people may buy food. We got everything, my Maria and I. We uh, we are the proprietors of this store. (laughs) We also own it. Fine, fine. Now, what about... It's called Romano's. We have a big new neon sign... My someone is trying to destroy my store. Now we're making headway. Tell me about the someone. I don't know this someone. My fight should get my hands on them. Somebody breaks I... windows? No, 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 no. They tried to burn it down. They tried to burn my store. When? Last week, Thursday. Ah, did you call the police? Yes. And then what? Well, they said there was an accident. They said I did this to my own store. My question was... Oh, mamma mia. And you're sure it was no accident? Mr. Regan, would I destroy the one thing Maria and I have given our lives to make? Would I so much as harm a single little glass window? No, I would not. Um, where'd the fire start? In the back room where the cans are stored. What time of day? Night. It was at night. My Maria and I, we sleep above the store. 
My Maria smelled the smoke, and together we put out the fire before the damage could become great. Mm -hmm. That's the only time it happened? No. No, the day before that, I found a light match in the, in the waste basket. It was just as I was closing for the night. Well, I stopped this one very quick. Two nights in a row. You're right, Romano. It doesn't look very accidental. Oh, believe me, Mr. Regan. I would never do this to my store. Never, never. Okay, Romano. I believe you. Suppose you and I run out there. Take a look. A little man with a wrinkled brow got in the car beside me, and we drove out 6th Street, past Alvarado, past Union. We parked in front of a small grocery store with a big neon sign over the door. The sign said, very proudly, Romano's. And my client, Romano, glanced at it, nodded approvingly, and we walked in. Oh, Elio, are you back safely? That foolish woman, of course I'm back safely. And this is Mr. Regan, the detective. See, si, see, si, see. Si. Uh, Mr. Regan, my wife, Maria. <laughs> A very foolish woman. Elio, twice said <laughs> too much. How do you do, Miss Romano? The pig of a husband. If you worry about him and he says so, he call you foolish. If you do not worry about him, he say you don't care. Maria, Maria, Mr. Regan is going to help us. He promised he will help us. You told me everything, Elio. Maria, please. Everything, uh... Elio, you promised me you would have told Mr. Regan everything. See, si, see. Si. Well? Um... Suppose you tell me, Mrs. Romano. See, si, see, si, Maria. Suppose you tell me. Elio. Mr. Regan, in the first place, you must know that we do not have much money. See, si, very little, Mr. Regan. In the second place, you must know we do not have many friends. See, si, see, si, very few. Now, we'll work out the money later, Mrs. Romano. Tell me about the friends now. Uh, Maria, Maria, tell me. We believe certain things, Mr. Regan. We run our business our own way. And no one can tell us otherwise. We believe in being our own boss. Mm -hmm. That's why you have very few friends? See, si, that is why. Uh, Mr. Regan, please, come with me. Right away, i show you where the fires start. Please, come with me. Romano led me into a small back room behind the counter. There were shelves filled with canned goods and paper cartons. He showed me the waste paper basket near the door. Easy to toss a match in through the window above it that opened onto the alley. There were a few charred pieces of wood here and there, but very little damage had been done. Still, if everything Romano said were true, it didn't look like an accident. It was while he was pointing out the burnt wood that a customer came in the front door. I moved over toward the doorway and listened. Well, we'll see about that when I tell my neighbors. It was then that things began to get interesting. I looked out. Plump, smug looking woman carrying a heavy purse. Her eyes glaring behind rimless oh, glasses. that's your idea, eh? To force as many people in here as you can? Well, there certainly must be some law against people like you. I just wanted to make sure, that's all. And I must say I got what I came for. What was that all about, Mrs. Romano? Oh, Mr. Inkett. You heard. Maria, Maria, what has she said to Quiet, you? Quiet, Romano. Mr. Regan is right, Elio. It was enough. It didn't sound like nothing, Mrs. Romano. What she mean by tell my neighbors? No, no, no we, we will not talk of it. See, we will talk of it. Mr. Regan, this woman, this is a Mrs. Wilson. She used to be our best customer. Then she turned on us. She tells all her friends not to come to our store. Why? Why? Because, 
You have started it. Now you will finish it. She does not buy from us because we would not let her tell us how to run our store. See, that's all there is to it? See. When did this start? A week ago. Oh. Same time the fire started. See, the same... But, Mr. Regan, you don't think You hired me to think, Romano. I'll see you later. Mr. Regan, away you go. To talk to Mrs. Wilson. If I moved fast, I could find Mrs. Wilson. If I could find her, I could talk to her. She had answers, plenty of them. Plenty more than the Romanos gave her credit for. And then I saw her, a block away, walking fast. I followed. Around the corner, she turned up a walk and disappeared into a two-story apartment house. I was right behind her. The mailbox out front said 208, and when I got there, the door was just closed. Knock. Yes? Can I talk to you for a minute? Uh, young man, if you're selling I'm not something, selling anything. Then what do you want? Just a couple of questions, Mrs. Wilson, about the Romanos. Oh, so that's your game, is it? You're trying to tell me... I'm not trying me. to tell you anything. We'd just better talk now. For your own good. You go back and tell those people we don't want them around here. We don't want them in our neighborhood. Is that clear? That's as good a place to start as any. Now we'll just... Oh, no, you don't... You're not coming in without a warrant. I knew you were a policeman right away. They called you those Romanos. Just like them to take advantage of our Constitution. But I know my rights as a citizen. Lady, I'm I haven't tell... broken any laws, you understand? It's them that cause all the trouble. Them. And we don't want their kind around here. Now, good day. So I had nothing after all. I got in my car, drove down toward police headquarters. And it wasn't that easy. Because behind me, starting at Alvarado, was a yellow Model A Ford. A yellow hot rod, and it wasn't behind me by accident. Stayed there two blocks, ten blocks, twenty. And whoever sat behind the wheel didn't care if I knew it. He stayed that way until we reached a block without traffic, and then suddenly the yellow car gunned up in the rearview mirror. And I could see a young kid hunched angrily over the steering wheel, and there wasn't any doubt about what a kid like that had on his mind or what he was going to do. He moved the car up close, next to mine... And yelled something angry kids yell, and suddenly his yellow coupe shot out ahead and cut into me. Like I figured. Tried to run me off the street onto the sidewalk. Now the yellow coupe was just a blur in the distance. I pulled off from the curb, eased into gear, and took my time driving to the police station. police told me to check with the arson squad. The arson squad told me to check with the sergeant. And to make a rotten day just that much rottener, the sergeant turned out to be a guy I knew named Bold. All right, what do you want, Regan? Ah, transferred from homicide, Bowles? I don't need any of your lip today, Regan. I'm busy. What do you want? You handle the Romano investigation? Romano? Who's that? It's the poor guy who happens to own a grocery store. Romano. Yeah, I checked it out last week. Find anything? Sure. Scared little guy ought to watch where he tosses his matches. That's all you could find. When I want your advice, I'll ask for Give it. Give bowls. I'm busy today myself. <laughs> Times must be tough, huh, Regan? You're taking a fee from a Answer me, bowls. Okay. The guy had a fire. Know what caused it? Matches. Know the total damage? Ten bucks. Now, Regan, if you think we got enough men to stake out a two-big... Ever hear of putting store? out a fire before it starts, bowls? Ah, uh, you wouldn't have heard that. I told you we haven't got enough men, Regan. Sure we'd like to prevent it. Okay, 
But you need men, Regan. We haven't got them. Okay, Bowles. What have you got? There's no evidence of outside work. Meaning what? No evidence that anybody else started it, Regan. Spell it out, Bowles. Sure. Sure, I'll spell it out. Maybe somebody did start the fire on purpose. You know who gained by that, Regan? No, don't guess. Let me tell you. A character named Romano. Bowles, if you think... I didn't set it up, Regan. Somebody else did. For your information, this client of yours, Romano, has his grocery store well covered. You know what they call it, Regan? Fire insurance. Lots of fire insurance. And that's what I got from Sergeant Bowles. I left the station, drove down to a chop house on 3rd Street, had myself a big dinner and tried to think. And it wasn't that easy. Ideas would fit together during the salad and go to pieces during the steak. By the time I got to dessert, it was anybody's guess. I paid the blonde waitress and drove out 6th Street, watching the streetlights go on and hoping one of them would shed some light on the problem. And when I got past Alvarado, I didn't have time to think. I stepped on the gas, drove faster, into streets becoming crowded, alive, into confusion and fire engines, into shouts and smoke. A man in a fire helmet directed me over to the side of the road, and I parked and got out and walked into the excitement and confusion and heat and into a sweaty, curious, open-collared, open-mouthed, hot-eyed, staring mob. And there were shouts all around me. Hey, Joe. Hey, Edna. Hey, Pete. Come take a look. Romano's, the grocery store, burning down. This is CBS, and you are listening to tonight's adventure with Jeff Regan, investigator, entitled A Fire for Romano. A little man named Romano had hired me to find out who tried to burn down his grocery store, and I'd met an irate customer, an overworked cop, and a kid in a hot rod. Now I was back on 6th Street, back at Romano's little store, and there was a mob of excitement-hungry people yelling and cheering and shouting while flames licked up the store walls and around the big new neon sign Romano had proudly shown me. And I was moving into the mob, trying to get closer, when a big burly man covered with soot and sweat shoved me aside. Hey, stand back, will you please, mister? Have you seen the owner? Too many people to see anything, mister, out of my way. The big fireman moved on, and I followed him, letting him clear a path through the spectators and up ahead... I could see another big man. This one I knew. Stand back there. Oh, Regan. Rand, have you seen Romano, the owner? What's he look like? A little guy. Dark hair, mustache. Dark control, Regan. I haven't seen anybody. Better stand back. That wall's going soon. Romano and his wife live in there. Sorry, Regan. Too many people. My men can't get equipment Never in. mind. Regan, come back there. Fire Chief Rand's shouts were lost in the crowd behind me as I moved and shoved and pushed my way around to the side of the burning grocery store. Somewhere in there was my client, Romano, and his wife, Maria. And then, stumbling out through the smoke, came a fireman. And he was dragging a man, a little man, coughing, spitting, screaming. It was Romano. This is the man you were looking for, mister. Let me go, please. Let me go. Romano, it's me, Regan. Let me go in the name of God. Please let me go, Maria. I must get to my money. You take him, mister. I'll go back for her. Right. I got him. Mr. Regan. Mr. Regan. Where is she? They left for my money. Take it easy, Romano. They'll get Maria. 
It must have saved her. I'm going to get to my I'm going to get to I pulled the little man away from the smoke and heat and people and stretched him out on the pavement. In a few minutes, his breathing became regular and the coughing stopped and he slept. And ten minutes after that, the big fireman came out with Maria and placed her on the pavement beside her husband. Only Maria wasn't coughing or breathing. She was dead. The ambulance took Maria and Romano away. The fire hissed steam where the fireman's hoses poured gallons of water. And soon even the crowd had lost interest. And only the hissing steam and smoke filled the cavity that had been Romano's grocery store. Fire Chief Rand came over to me. Did you find him, Regan, that man you were looking for? Yeah, Rand. I found him. He okay? Yeah. Yeah, he'll be all right. Not his wife. Oh, sorry to hear that, Regan. We did the best we could. I know. Rand, what started it? I was just checking... So far, nothing conclusive. You think it was an accident? No. Went too fast. This one was planned, Reagan. Pyromaniac. I'm not too sure. The nuts usually stick around. Watch it. They get their kicks that way. Check the crowds? We always check the crowd. Nothing certain yet. Okay, Ram. Thanks. Uh, Reagan, uh, when you see Romano... Tell him we, we did our best. I left Rand examining the charred scraps of what was left of Romano's grocery store. I walked down the street, thinking, putting the twos with other twos and trying to make fours. And then I saw something up ahead, and I forgot about the twos and fours. It moved faster. It was a yellow Model A Ford parked three blocks from the scene of the fire, sitting quiet, docile, far from the nearest streetlight. I got to it and started to look in. It was the car that had tried to run me off the street. It was... Get away from there, mister. I turned. Saw a kid. The kid who'd driven the car into me. In his right hand, a revolver. Come on, get away from it. You like guns. They get me things. Come on. You also like matches. Shut up. You also like killing people. He blinked when I said killing, and I dove across the sidewalk at his knees, and we went down together, rolling on the pavement and digging for the gun. And it was anybody's weapon until I felt the cold steel of it pressing between us. Saw the barrel moving up under my chin. Heard the report. <clears throat> it was gone. I was holding a sticky, damp spot above my left ear. And when I pulled my hand away, it too was sticky and damp. I got up. Rocked unsteadily on my feet, stumbled down to my car. I reached for the ignition, pushed the starter, and decided to wait. Voices and Faces and voices and lights and a big blank wall to stare at. I waited, not being sure, and then 
I opened my eyes, well, and the blank I'll wall was the ceiling, and the face was Sergeant Bowles. <laughs> Who said it was just a scratch? Lay down. What's going on around here? I said lay down. You want to hurt something or something? Bowles, your humor stinks. Where are we? Georgia Street receiving. Huh? Only why Rand had bought Rand over. brought me here. He found you in your car. You were out. Way out. Uh, Romano. Is he okay? Yeah, he's okay. His wife, Maria. Does Romano know? Yeah, he knows. Bulls. Yeah? You still figure Romano burned his own store down? Shut up. Like you said, Bulls, who would gain but Romano? Who, Bulls? Who? Okay, so I was wrong, okay. We did our best. After the crime. What did you do before it happened, Bulls? Slow down, Regan. You're racing your motor. Besides, suppose you answer a couple of questions. Okay. Just ask me. Bowles asked me, and I told him. And he folded his notebook, and he walked out. I got up, checked my legs and the bandage over my left ear, glanced down the hospital corridor, and walked out. Thirty minutes later, the cab let me off where I'd last seen that yellow coupe. And I began to check garages. And the first one I checked was behind the apartment building where Mrs. Wilson lived. And I got nothing. Thirty minutes after that, I'd covered her side of the block and was on the last apartment across the street. Four garages, side by side. First, Chevy. Second, Dodge. Third, Ford. Not a new one. It was a coupe like the yellow one I was looking for, only... This was black. Shiny black. Shiny black. That was worth something. I moved into the dark garage and looked closer at that Model A and reached out and touched the shininess and brought my finger back fast. Sticky. Wet. Newly painted. What are you doing back here? Short, fat, with a flashlight beam in my eyes. Come on, speak up. What's your business? Turn off your light. Not a chance, mister. I'm on I said turn it off. Hey... Whose car is this? None of your business. I said, whose car? This is my property, mister. You... Talk! It ain't my place to give out information on my tenant. Well, the owner lives in your apartment? Well, I... Does he? Well, I, I rent that garage, mister. Five bucks a month. But the guy who owns the car doesn't live here? It ain't no guy, mister. Woman pays the bill. A woman? A plump woman wears rimless glasses? Yeah. Her name's Wilson. Mrs. Wilson. Hey, that's... Thanks. Hey, you ain't got no right to ask me questions. I moved around the building, across the street, double time. Double time up the stairs, up to the place I'd been earlier in the afternoon. It was late now, very late. But whether she liked it or not, Mrs. Wilson was getting a caller. I leaned on the buzzer, stayed on it. And midnight or not, Mrs. Wilson was going to answer if it took me on. What's the meaning of this? The very idea... Oh, it's you. Well, see here. I'm coming in, Mrs. Wilson. I won't have this, you. I'm calling the manager. That's what I'm, I'm going to do. I'm coming in, Mrs. Wilson. You policemen have no right to disturb peace-loving citizens. I'm not the police, Mrs. Wilson. You're not the police? Well, in that case, I'll... Not this time. Get out of my house, do you hear? Get out Shut of my... Shut up. Hmm. What do you want? Your son. He is your son. You're playing crazy. My son is out of town. Really? He's been gone since yesterday. He's visiting his aunt. That right. He he left on the train for Santa Barbara. That's where my sister lives. Tommy left yesterday morning. Tell me about Tommy. He's a good boy. There's nothing he's done wrong. He's... Uh, what right have what you right got? What right have you got I... covering up a murder? 
murder. Sure, murder, Mrs. Wilson. When your kid set fire to Romano's store, somebody was killed. The law can call that manslaughter, Mrs. Wilson, but you and I know it's murder. You're lying. You're making Why, Mrs. You... Wilson? That's all I want to know. Why? Why did you knowingly let your kid set fire to that store? What kind of a distorted brain... You Mrs. shut up! What those people got they deserved, we don't want their kind in this neighborhood. We've got all right. Who's we? Citizens. Real American citizens. Oh, Romano's not, is that it? There's no place here I for think such... I'll just look around, Mrs. Wilson. Where are you going? Look around. Something brought this business to a boil. You stay out of there! Oh, I wasn't going in. Since you made a point of it. Hmm. Kitchen. You get out of here. Now, why would you care if I looked in your kitchen, Mrs. Wilson? I... Interesting. Very interesting. You've got no right to come in here and... Sugar. Soap. Lots of it. Let's see. Ah. Say about two dozen cans of coffee. I... A couple of cases of soap. And there's a sugar there. I paid for it. It's my right to buy what I want. Romano can't tell oh, me so what that's I'm it. supposed to... Romano tried to tell you how much you could buy. No huh? dirty, filthy foreigner is going to tell me Say, what I can... that's right. You're an American. A hmm? real patriotic American. Right. The Constitution says you've got a right to buy as much as you want any time you want. You've got your rights. Ah, remember you're telling me that. So I'll thank you to keep your nose your out of my business. Your kind belongs behind bars, Mrs. Wilson. What? Your kind can't eat off the same table with Romano's. Your kind belongs out back in the pig pen, where you can wallow in your soap and coffee and sugar and greed. How dare you? Get back with the pigs, Mrs. Wilson. Somebody left a loophole in the Constitution. Why? Stand right where you are, mister. Well, that makes it complete. Oh, Tommy. Oh, my Tommy. I thought I stopped you once, mister. Oh, he said such horrible things, Tommy. He said such terrible thing. I won't be saying much when I get through with him. When you get through with what? <laughs> Haven't you killed enough for one night? Killed? Mrs. Romano's dead. Dead from the smoke and flames and hate your mother cooked up. Oh, oh no. I, I, I wasn't going to kill Sure, her. just a little fire. Burn him out of the neighborhood. Your mother's idea. Oh, Tommy, don't let him talk to me. That sure, way. they always start that way. Just a little hate. But it builds, doesn't it, kid? Starts with a fist, ends up with guns, lots of them. But, Tommy, I, I didn't mean... Go on, shoot, kid. Make the neighborhood safe for Americans. Your mother's kind of American. Kind that breeds hate and greed and gets fat doing it. Tommy, make him stop. Shoot, kid. Go ahead, prove she's right, that you can kill because you're special like she is. I... I Tommy! Give me that gun. 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 Thanks. There must be something in the Constitution that fits you, Mrs. Wilson. And there was. Murder, arson, whatever you want to call the crimes of Mrs. Wilson. You might say she was fighting for a fifth freedom... The freedom of grab. And she won. The right to spend the next few years grabbing the bars of her own private cell.
The next morning, I checked in down at the office of my boss, Anthony J. Lyon. Empty. Anthony J. on vacation. Way up in the mountains, breathing fresh air, living the hard, rugged life. Fishing, hunting, getting next to nature. And doing good. Thought about that as I sat down in his big swivel chair. Anthony J. Lyon, Detective Bureau, Regan speaking. I have a long-distance call for Mr. Jeffrey Regan from Mr. Lyon in Mammoth Lake, California. Okay, I'm Regan. The call is collect. Will you accept the charges? What else? Okay, operator. Uh, Jeffrey, is that you, Jeffrey? Ah, Lyon, how's the fishing? What's that? Oh, terrible connection. I can't hear a thing. I said, how's the fishing? Fishing? Oh, yes, yes. Fine, wonderful. Spend every minute out on the lake. Open air, exercise. Uh, Just a minute, Jeffrey. Certainly, I'm in for $5. Deal, Charlie. Uh, Yes, really roughing it, Jeffrey. Yeah, I can tell. Yes, generally fine weather. Just what I needed. All this outdoor exercise. (laughs) Uh, Pardon me, Jeffrey. These fishermen keep asking advice. I've got aces over Queen. Sorry, gentlemen. <laughs> My part again. <clears throat> That's why I called you, Jeffrey. Fish biting that good, huh? Biting? I've never seen so many suckers. I mean, fish in my life. <laughs> you practically have to fight them off. Hey, Jeffrey, this exercise is doing me so much good. Yeah, Lion. Do you mind if I stay another week? <laughs> Jeff Regan, Investigator, is written tonight by William Frug, produced and directed by Sterling Tracy, and stars Frank Graham as Regan with Frank Nelson as Anthony J. Lyon. Original music is by Dick Aran. Jeff Regan, Investigator, is heard transcribed each week at the same time over CBS. Bob Stevenson speaking, and inviting you to be with us again next Sunday at 8.30 for more suspense and mystery and adventure with Jeff Regan, Investigator. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Broadway's My Beat, from Times Square to Columbus Circle, the gaudiest, the most violent, the lonesomest mile in the world. Broadway's My Beat, with Larry Thor as Detective Danny Clover. When it's December and the winter has caught hold, Broadway comes up with a miracle. Silver trees grow out of the sidewalks. Men with beards and red velvet suits suddenly appear from out of the Bowery and dedicate themselves to being jolly. And reindeer roam the tundra of the spectaculars. At the time of Crosby Records, noses against department store windows and wishing you'd kept up the Christmas club payments. Everybody's happy. Even the finance company sends you season's greetings. The atmosphere hadn't touched the alley, littered and dark, except for a stark cone from a flashlight held by a policeman. Up here, Danny. Shot twice in the back. Still breathing. Come on. Come on, Doc. 
Take a look, Doc. Let's put him on the stretcher. I don't think this one's got much time. Give me a hand here. Easy. We'll have you in the hospital in five minutes. Know who he is, Muggerman? Yeah. Wallace is Ben Justin. Here it is. The ideas of what happened? I think he knows who shot him, Danny. He was saying he'll get even. Any names? Uh uh-uh, no. Easy with him now. Just slide the stretcher in here. We'll ride with him. Let's go, Muggerman. Yeah. Okay, Joe, let's get this ambulance on the road. Who are you going to kill, Ben? Watch it, Danny. Here, hold the bottle up like this. Yeah. Sorry to talk to him. You better hurry. Who shot you, Ben? Can you hear me, Ben? Ben. Wait a second. Hey, Joe. You can take it easy. Take your time. He's dead, Danny. Then the slow ride through swarming avenues, the slow tolling of the ambulance bell, because the rhythm of death is slow. Through the windows of the moving car, the procession of fleeting faces, of melting forms scurrying from the bitter touch of an unknown wind. Then suddenly, at a stop, because death in the city must wait its turn, the face peering in, avid for a furtive glimpse of pain, seeing only the shroud-covered man, turning away in regret. The ambulance moves again, and within it, silence because there are no more questions that can be asked of the dead. At headquarters, the setting up of a file on Ben Justin. The word, murdered, neatly typed in triplicate. Then the fragments of his life drifting in to be pieced together, to be entered under the correct heading, on the correct line. Ben Justin lived in an apartment on West 86th. He was married to a woman named Evelyn. Go there, ask her the question the dying man wouldn't answer. Ben didn't tell you? He was bleeding to death and he wouldn't tell you who killed him? No, Miss Justin. I like him for that. For a lot of other reasons, but this one's the best. Then you will want to help us find his murderer. No, uh-uh. That's your job. It's what you get paid for. They shot him down in an alley. Sorry, but... but that's how I feel about things. You get what you work for in this world. No one can do it for you. You want Ben's killer? Find him. That way he'll belong to you, just you. If you know something, Mrs. Justin, we can hold you. Now, wherever did you get an idea like that? How would I know who killed Ben? It's his secret. He's taking it to his grave with him. Maybe I didn't tell you. Ben's last words were that he would kill him with his bare hands. Ben can't do that now, can he? But you can do something, Mrs. Justin. You can tell me about Ben. You can tell me who wanted him dead. Tell you about Ben? That could take my lifetime. But I'll brief it down for you. Ben did good by me. Dressed me in fancy clothes. Showy. Showed me off to his friends. Didn't mind if one made a play for me. Grinned it off. Grinned about it when we got home. Cuffed me a little, and we go to sleep laughing. That's about Ben. Doesn't help as much. Then try this. Ben used to work for the Imperial Insurance Company, an investigator. Go ask them about Ben. I bet those insurance people knew more about him than even his wife knew. It's their business. Imperial Insurance? On Lower Broadway. You can excuse yourself now, Mr. Clover. I want to go over my wardrobe. Pick out a black dress for Ben's funeral. Silk? Yeah, silk. He liked me in it.
<sighs> yeah, it's very intriguing what you tell me, Mr. Clover. Look, why don't we go downstairs and chat about it over a cup of coffee? Hmm? Now, Mr. Kogan. Oh, you don't understand, kid. I haven't had my breakfast. How can I do my best for Imperial Insurance without something hot in my stomach? We're trying to find out who killed the man. For this, I have to miss my breakfast? I tell you, you don't understand. My wife sleeps in the morning. She doesn't ben make Justin me Ben Justin used to work for you. I want you to give me what you know about him. Now. Because it won't wait. Oh. On an empty stomach? All right. All right. Yeah, he worked for us. One of our hottest cases. A year ago, he kissed us goodbye. You don't know anything about him after that. You're just... Uh... Look, kid, did I say that? I know a lot about Ben. Let me open my mouth a little, huh? It's open. A year ago, we put Ben on the Colton murder case. Remember it? Who doesn't? Mrs. Colton found murdered, shot to death in her house on Long Island. That one cost us, uh, the company, a hundred grand. The police were handling it. Why did you put a private investigator on it? Oh, don't let it bother you. Justin flopped, too. He said he couldn't find a thing to prove that Mrs. Colton's nephew and his wife committed the mail. Remember Johnny and Dottie Reed? The lovable kids that all of us thought were the murderers. The state, us, till they were acquitted. No evidence, not even from our own boy, Ben. After that, Ben quit. How did you know? Oh, I told you, yeah. He turned in a memo that we should pay the kids the hundred grand insurance the aunt left the boy. Shook hands all around, resigned. Then right away, we find out he was making merry with the Reed kids, all over town, in their home. How do you know that? It was a password in our office, how... Ben and his wife were always in the company of the kids. Why? The kids were acquitted? They have the right to make their own friends? For a hundred grand, we keep trying. Uh, do I get coffee now? Yeah. Here's a dime. Let it be on me. Hello. What can I do for you? My name's Danny Clover from the police. Yeah. Your name Reed? Yeah, that's right. I wondered... You've uh, got to look in your eyes. You want to talk to me, don't you? Come on in. And here. I know that look, Mr. Clover. The police and I have been chummy before. Is your wife here? Vacuuming the rugs in the dining room. Daddy! Hey, Daddy! Yeah, what do you want, Johnny? Turn off the Lewitt and come in here. We got a caller. I hope you don't mind the way Dottie looks. <laughs> Holiday cleaning. What'd you say? Oh. Uh, this is Danny Clover, Dottie's from the police. I'll be honest with you, Mr. Clover. I'm busy. Well, just a few questions about Ben Justin. <laughs> Guess I'm right, Dottie, huh? Soon as I saw this morning's paper, I told you a policeman would be twirling his hat at the door. Then you talk to him, Johnny. I've got to get my work done. I'm afraid you'll have to hold it off for about five minutes, Miss Reed. Do you have a warrant? I don't need one. All I want... <laughs> Dottie gets all mixed up. Ever since the cops scattered to death last year, well, just could be lost, and the only person around, a cop, and she wouldn't ask him which way was home. Johnny isn't kidding. Cops. How well did you two know Ben Justin? We're not going to his funeral. Not even flowers, Mr. Clover. Funny. I heard you were pretty good friends. Two weeks ago, Johnny and I took turns yawning in his face. He still wouldn't go home. Then he used to drop in here often. Maybe a couple times a month. When I shook his hand after we were acquitted, he took that to mean buddy. He couldn't get through his head out of shaking anybody's hand. Ben Justin tried to send you to the chair. I don't understand. Neither did we. 
You inherited a lot of money when your aunt was killed, didn't you, Mr. Reed? You people can't leave us alone, can you? Hey, you shouldn't have asked that, Mr. Clover. Dottie's going to be upset all day. It's going to be like this for the rest of our lives. Dottie. No matter what we do, where we go, it's going to be the same way. Get him out of here, Johnny. Get him out of here. You heard him, Mr. Clover. You better get out. Dottie's busy. <laughs> If I turn on the radiator, Danny? It's cold in here. Huh? I can't stand it. There. Danny, you've been over and over the transcript of a year old trial maybe a hundred times. You want something juicy to read? Try this pulp. It's good, huh? Tells me the thrilling things detectives have happened to them. For two bits, it thrills even me. Things that go on. Mrs. Colton was killed with Johnny Reed's gun. Our ballistics man proved it. Brought it in evidence. Exhibit A. But no fingerprints. No fingerprints. And if you read the transcript another hundred times, there still won't be any. What are you trying to build, It Dan? bothers me. You mind, Muggervin? Dan, listen. The kid had a right to the gun. Messenger boy for a brokerage house. Briefcases full of stocks and bonds. Sometimes even money. A boy needs a gun in a career like that. They present him with it, courtesy of the house. And it killed his aunt. Endowed two kids with $100,000. The gun could have been stolen from him, just like he said. His wife put her arms around him. He felt different somehow to her without the gun. That was the first they knew it was missing, just like they said in court. Yeah. I don't understand what you're after, Danny. The kids were acquitted. I know. They said they spent the day picnicking on the Jersey Palisades. Nobody could prove different. Nobody could prove they were at the murder house that day. They were acquitted. I told you I know, Muggerman. Then what's with you? You think you found a free and easy way to solve Ben Justin's murder? I take it back, Danny. I didn't mean to say that. Why are you so chummy with the Reed kids? You mean Justin and his wife? You care about anyone else? Justin was a top insurance investigator. He couldn't find a thing to prove that the kids were anywhere else but eating ham and cheese sandwiches on the Palisades. That cinched it. When an insurance company... Danny, you gotta go. You just gotta. Here, I brought you overcoat. I'll help you into it. It's not too much to tag me up. Where am I going? To the residence of one Mrs. Evelyn Justin. She just phoned in, Danny. She was crying, then screaming. In between said cries and screams was sandwiched that someone was trying to kill her. I made her go slow so I could take her down in shorthand. Here, Danny. Her very words. Yeah. Get your coat, Muggerman. It's a cold ride. Down this hall, Muggerman. Come on. That's behind you. Should I take that call? Real quiet in there. Locked, I think. Lean on the bell, Muggerman. Yeah. Dan! Dan, something happened. Take it in. <laughs> Mrs. Justin! Watch it, Danny. The place is a furnace. Mrs. Justin! Danny, you can't go in there. Don't be crazy. Yeah. I don't understand. What happened? We ring the bell, we blow the place up. We're listening to Broadway's My Beat, written by Morton Fine and David Friedkin and starring Larry Thor as Detective Danny Clover. There should be plenty of action on CBS Hopalong Cassidy show tomorrow night. Hoppy will be invading the land of the Gunhawks, and though this may not sound full of action at first, he'll finally play dead to capture a band of vicious marauders. Hopalong Cassidy, starring Bill Boyd, 
comes your way every Saturday evening on most of these same CBS stations. Join him in the land of gunhawks tomorrow night. On the eve of the holiday, Broadway opens wide its loudspeakers, takes last year's tinsel off a back shelf, considers its tarnish, shrugs and hangs it in a doorway, in a shop window. Just above the summer resort sports shirt sprinkled with artificial snow and decked with dust-covered holly. It makes glints in the winter's sun, sways gently in the winter's wind. It makes you all warm inside, doesn't it, kid? The warm-eyed women walking by, hugging the warm fur close to them. Makes you merry. The music floating out of the metallic throats. Good, huh, kid? But turn it up. That way you won't hear the dissonance of death. That way it won't intrude that explosion uptown. Anyone killed? No one knows yet, but when they do, it'll be given to you. Hot off the presses, shining from the Translux, gift-wrapped with red ribbons. But before that happens, they've got to clear away the charred litter, hold the crowds back, assure the lady her kid wasn't in there. You don't know where he is. Then finally, a man comes up to you. It's all clear now, Danny. We can go in. Did they find anything? Uh-huh. They said in the kitchen. They said to watch ourselves. The walls are still smoldering. Okay, let's go, Monty. Yeah. He said in the kitchen. Uh-huh. Watch it, Danny. Go away, don't look anywhere. Come on. Not much left, is there, Danny? You were here before, not much left, huh? Broken, nothing smoked. Hey. Yeah. Mrs. Justin? Yep. Explosion must have done it, huh, Danny? The way she... The way... She was beaten up first. Slugged. See? Here. Hmm. Here? Yeah. They made sure, huh, Danny? We hadn't rung the doorbell, maybe. Call it in, Muggerman. It's a homicide. Hi-ho, Danny. I come bearing gifts from the boys in technical. For you. You thank them for me, Gino. Goes without saying. Christmas is coming, Danny. Courtesy is the motto of the season. A fellow has Goes to... Goes without saying. What have you got? Gift number one. You are confirmed in your deduction that Mrs. Justin was slugged, left unconscious to... To, uh... Well, you were there, Danny. I don't have to spell it out for you. No, Gino. For this pearl, my thanks. This, a poet once That's said... Right, Leo. Yeah, Danny. Gift number two. The doorbell was rigged to a booby trap of a type commonly used in the last... Last. What am I saying? Ring the doorbell and boom! Blast! Poof! It was that professional. To the contrary, wise is Mr. Gordon from Technical. He says it was a clumsy imitation. Gordon didn't like it, huh? He sniffed his nose at it. However, in the matter of an inferno machine, what matters clumsy, huh, Danny? Anything else? Nothing else. Except an itching in my brain. Huh? Yeah. I am making out my Christmas list, and it itches me. Want to give Mike Shrek, the bald-headed miracle detective from Philadelphia, for Christmas. Ah, the joy he has brought me. I should return it with a likewise. You... You got a suggestion, Danny? Only a question, Gina. How did you know it was Mrs. Justin you talked to on the phone? Well, she told me, Danny. Several times she told me. For what reason would I have to disbelieve what a lady tells me? You're trying to make out I'm a gulliver, Danny? You know... Pardon me, Gina. Likewise, I'm sure. 
When they tell you their name, see if you... Danny Clover speaking. Now, this is Swifty Crenshaw of the 34th Street Post Office, Mr. Clover. They referred me to you. Why? Oh, because I'm holding some undelivered mail for Mrs. Evelyn Justin. Bet you'd love to get your hands on it. Yeah, I would. Fine. Just ask for Swifty Crenshaw. Everybody knows me. Bye now. Hey, who was it, Danny? That's Swifty Crenshaw from the post office. Swift... Crenshaw? See? See how you two can be a gulliver, Danny? You Mr. Crenshaw? Uh, you bet. My name's Clover. I spoke to you on the phone a little while ago. You bet. Just wait here. Here you are. The mail addressed to Mrs. Benjustin. Uh-huh. Uh, there's not much there. Circulars, a few Christmas cards from people who heed our message to mail early. One there that's sealed and the sender tried to mail it third class. Postage due on that one, but I guess we can forget it, huh? Uh, I can save you trouble turning over that postcard. It's for a free grease job with 15 gallons of gas. Uh, that other is for a book overdue at the library. You've been having yourself a time, haven't you, Mr. Crenshaw? Hey, you bet. What's in this envelope? How do I know? Hey, it's no use holding an envelope like that up to the light. It's Manila. Postmark yesterday. Addressed to Mrs. Van Justin. P.O. Box 626, 34th Street Station, New York, New York. Return address. The same. She addressed it to herself? Uh, what's in it? You bet, Mr. Crenshaw. Okay, okay. Tell him to hurry. Mr. Jasper will speak to you. Good. Mr. Jasper on the phone. What about it, Jasper? You say you have a carbon copy of a subscription form for today's Lady Magazine? Where did you get it? In an envelope. Come on, your girl said you were looking it up, Jasper. The form is used by your company. Signed with the initials D.F. Who is D.F.? Donald Fraser. He would have gotten 400 points if he'd handed the subscription in. But why didn't he? Where does Donald Fraser live? 19 West 16. He's a pretty good... Yeah. Thanks. You better come along, Muggerman. Right. You ring the bell this time, Danny. No, I'll ring it. I read someplace if you crash in an airplane, the first thing to do is to go up in another one. Nah, you ain't about that. Thanks. What do you want? You Donald Fraser? So, what do you want? We're from the police. Didn't you hear, Donald? We're from the police. Let's go inside. Sit down, Donald. You want a cigarette, Donald? I don't smoke. You drink? No, I can't stand the taste. He's got refined taste, Danny. You signed this magazine subscription form, didn't you? Or didn't you? I don't know. You know. You know, don't you? I signed it. All right. You took a magazine subscription on November 2nd, 1949. That's the date on this form. It's also the date Mrs. Colton was shot to death. So... What's that got to do with anything? Got this to do with it. It's a magazine subscription for Mrs. Colton. You took the subscription. Who signed it? I'll tell you. You're not kidding. Let him alone, man. I, uh, I came by Mrs. Colton's that morning selling subscriptions. 
Mrs. Colton said to come back later. She wanted time to make up her mind. When you came back, Johnny Reed was there with his wife. I said, leave him alone. Yeah, that's right. They were there that day. The girl yelled up to her aunt that I'd come back. Mrs. Colton said to take the subscription. The girl signed for her. That does it, Danny. Not quite. Donald, then, uh, then Ben Justin got to you, didn't he? He was investigating the murder and tracked down a lead that a magazine salesman was on the Colton block that day. That's right? Yeah, yeah, the very next day. Before I had a chance to turn in the form in to Mr. Jasper. I, I, I shouldn't have done it. I know I shouldn't have done it. For a thousand dollars, the trouble I'm in. I didn't mean to do anything. He talked me into it. No, it's you. What do you want? Let's go inside, Mrs. Reed. Remember how busy I was yesterday? I'm busier today. That's too bad. I want to talk to you, and I want to talk to your husband. All right, come in. I've got an idea Johnny's going to throw you right out, and I want to watch. Johnny! Johnny! Yeah? Look who's here, Johnny. Huh? Oh. Hiya, Mr. Bowler. Can I get you something? I just broke out a quart of beer. No, thanks. I want to talk to you alone. Ah, sure, sure. My pleasure. Hey, go make us some coffee, Betty. I told him you were going to throw him out, Johnny. You're making a liar out of me. Just get the coffee, Betty. Then you'll throw him out? If he annoys me. All right, Johnny. Now, that's a good word, Mr. Cole. What have you been doing with yourself lately, Johnny? Oh, this and that. I got enough money. I'm lucky with the horses. The money gets used up and replenished. I envy you. Yeah, got a sister. That's fine. I'm glad to hear of it. Is this what you come all the way out here to talk to me about? You impressed me the last time I talked to you. <laughs> you kidding? No, I'm not. Say, uh, you think Dottie needs any help with the coffee? Yeah, probably. She's all thumbs. But she doesn't like you, Mr. Clover. Uh, maybe if I help her with the coffee. Yeah, yeah. Why don't you do that? Help her with the coffee. Uh, mine's with cream, Mr. Clover, too. Sugar. What do you want? I just came in to tell you to get your happy coat. That sounds familiar. That's right. You're under arrest. <laughs> hey, you're doing all right, Mr. Clover. You're under arrest for murder. Let me tell you why it sounds familiar, Mr. Clover. Because it's happened before. What happened before? A year ago, when Johnny and I were arrested for the murder of his aunt, the police separated Johnny and me. Then one cop came to me and said Johnny confessed. That way I was supposed to break down. They did the same thing to Johnny. <laughs> oh, as a policeman, you're a real nothing, Mr. Clover. A real nothing. <laughs> hey, let me laugh with you, huh? Oh, say, you remember what they tried on us before, Johnny, trying to make us confess? Well, your friend Clover just tried it again. <laughs> oh, Clover, Clover. All right, you had your fun. Don't you think you ought to go home now? I've not my coffee yet. Daddy makes such lousy coffee, it really isn't worth it. Well, I don't understand you. Throw him out, Johnny. That's what I mean. I came here to give you something for Christmas. Maybe I'm a little early. Maybe I should come back. If you're giving, we're receiving. What do you got? This. The magazine subscription form that your wife signed last year in your aunt's house. Where'd you get it? From Mrs. Justin's post office box at 34th Street Station. You got it figured, huh, Mr. Clover? Sure. It's proof that the two of you were at Ms. Colton's the day she was murdered. The piece of evidence the D.A. didn't have at your trial. Johnny, 
They can't try us again, can they? You, uh, planning to reopen the trial with new evidence, Danny? It won't be necessary. Justin bought this subscription form from the salesman. He was blackmailing you with it. Then a little while ago, he got afraid of you two, passed it on to his wife. That's where she had it, huh? That's where she mailed it for safekeeping after you killed her husband. You thought you destroyed it when your wife called headquarters and had me set off that booby trap. And now you've got it. Merry Christmas, Danny. How much you want? How much for you paying Justin before you killed him? Don't bargain. How much? All of it. Everything you got. I want you to sign a confession to you and your wife. Let me sit down. Think about it. <laughs> Serve the coffee, Danny. Gonna stir it with that gun? No. I'm gonna kill you with the gun. You want one slug or two? Johnny! <laughs> this will put you out of your misery, Johnny! You can have half of it, Mr. Clover. All of it. You can have anything you want. I've got what I want. Let's get your coat, Mrs. Reed. The midnight cold, Broadway echoes with sounds you hear only in darkness. The fleeting whispers that speckle places where there's no sun. People pass and touch you. You look down, there are fingers of dust on your shoulder. It's Broadway, the gaudiest, the most violent, the lonesomest mile in the world. Broadway, my beat. Broadway's My Beat stars Larry Thor as Detective Danny Clover with Charles Calvert as Tartaglia. The program is produced and directed by Elliot Lewis, with musical score composed and conducted by Alexander Courage. Included in tonight's cast were Anthony Barrett, Sam Edwards, Virginia Gregg, Michael Ann Barrett, Sidney Miller, and Jack Crucian. Now, here's Larry Thor. Ladies and gentlemen, tonight's program concludes the present series of Broadway's My Beat. We thank you for listening and hope to return to the air in the near future when Danny Clover will bring you more adventures along the Great White Way. Next week at this time, most of these same CBS stations will bring you a new program featuring Edward R. Murrow, Columbia's famed news reporter. This new program will be called Report to the Nation, and during its 60 minutes, Mr. Murrow will bring you not only important war and political news, but also summaries of all that's bright and new in the world of music, the theater, sports, and the other colorful, varied fields of American life. You'll hear recordings of great speeches and great events in the week preceding each Friday night broadcast. Report to the Nation will report the news for CBS listeners in this unprecedented series of broadcasts. Be listening for Report to the Nation next Friday evening on CBS. Dan Coverly speaking. This is CBS, the star's address, the Columbia Broadcasting System.
Here's more from Case Closed, Jeff Regan, Broadway Is My Beat, and lots of other old-time radio at relicradio.com. You'll find all the podcasts listed there and our Shoutcast stream and our donate button if you'd like to help support this and all of the shows. My thanks, as always, to those who have helped out. Thanks for joining me this week. Be back next Wednesday with another hour of Case Closed.